continue from last week. We're going to go fairly quickly because there's a lot of material to cover. Uh, we were talking about, right now, we're setting it up that Jesus has, um, has been ministering and ministering and ministering. And he has begun to see the people and he has compassion over them because they're sheep like a shepherd, helpless and harassed. And he says, I need some help. So he says to the disciples, pray that the God of the harvest will kick out laborers into the harvest field. And then basically that becomes them and they have to go. And he starts out in his kind of um, his his speech to get them all excited. He starts out with all these great things. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, all these great things. And then it just starts getting more and more difficult. He starts going into when you get into prison, when you're standing in front of governors and leaders. Then he gets even harder. And that's where we were last week. And he talks about, look, you better be ready to basically give up your very life. And that, that's a lo- that's a that's a bu- bummer. You know, it's like it's almost like you know, have anyone ever said to you, what do you want first? The good news or the bad news? You know, and you start thinking, oh, I the bad news first, because then it ends on a good note. Well, no, I want the good. news, Right. He gave the good news first and then the bad news. What we found out last week is it's all good news. Even the stuff that sounds like bad news down in this kingdom, the kingdom of the world, is good news up in heaven. That's what we were talking about. We talked about the goal. That's to be like Christ. He said, a a, a student is not above his teacher. So when you go out, you are me. And we talked about what if Jesus had your job or Jesus had, how, how would he do your job? How would Jesus treat your spouse? How would Jesus date How would Jesus spend his time? So when we go out, we are Jesus. He's our teacher. It says a a student is not above his master. It is enough for the student to be like the master. So our goal is to be like Christ. The second thing is we have a problem and it's the kingdom of this world and how our flesh identifies with the kingdom of this world. And so uh, our flesh wants to just be lazy and give in and go, yeah, that sounds great. The kingdom of the world is this problem. The solution is the kingdom of heaven. That's where our power is. That's where God gives us, no matter what our circumstances are, God gives us the power uh, in the kingdom of heaven. And then we talked about the struggle, persecution. He said, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of that stuff. God's bigger than that. Five, the risk was relationships. He started talking about unless... Unless you're willing to give up father and mother and son and daughter, you're not worthy of me. And we were going, man, what is that all about? And what he's saying is you need to live a life, even if it impacts your kids. You know what, kids? We're not going to do that because I feel like the Lord's going to somewhere else. And the kids are like, that's not fair. Everybody gets to do that. It's, it's that idea that relationship, Jesus comes first, relationship second. Or you accept Christ and your spouse is just nagging you all the time. You know, things like that. And then the cost is our lives. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And we talked about what that really meant in the disciples' uh, minds. And um, we talked about when Jesus was 10, there was an uprising from uh, Judas of Galilee. Not the Judas that, that betrayed Jesus, but it's the other Judas of Galilee. And he, he had this uprising and it got squashed. And so 2,000 of those people from those uprisings were crucified and put on the roads in Galilee. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, 
they get this picture of, man, there's going to be an up. Jesus is, he's serious about this. The cost is our very, your very life. And then the result is changed lives. I mean, he starts to begin to change this thing and say, listen, when you go out and you receive a prophet's welcome or a righteous man's welcome or someone just gives you a cup of cold water, they've done it unto me. And so they can begin to experience what it's like to have a life in Christ. So this week... We get to all this stuff. And, and Matthew, we talked about Matthew setting up Jesus as the Messiah. And, and so what Matthew's done is he, he's, uh, I, I wrote it down here. In chapter 1, he's given the genealogy and ancestry that points to Christ as Messiah. And he gave the testimony of the virgin birth. In chapter 2, he talks about fulfilled prophecy. In chapter 3, it's the testimony of the forerunner, John the Baptist. And the testimony of God the Father, who said, this is my son. In chapter 4, we have the testimony of the power as Jesus himself defeats Satan when he was tempted. In chapter 5 through 7, we have the testimony of his words. In 8 through 9, we have the testimony of his works. All these testify to his deity. And in chapter 10, we have the testimony of the disciples who were ultimately convinced so much they gave their very lives. All these things that, that, that Matthew's setting up, this is the guy. And then we get to chapter 11 and Jesus' most staunch supporter, John the Baptist, goes, I'm not too sure about this. Let's, let's go ahead and read it. Matthew 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So he sent them out, and then he goes around following them, teaching and preaching. That's pretty cool. Matthew eleven two. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now we know that John the Baptist obviously believed in Jesus. (laughs) Right. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. He said, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes. He said, you should be baptizing me. All this came out of John the Baptist's mouth when he when John the Baptist was six months old. He probably doesn't uh, uh, in, in six when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. That's what it was. John the Baptist did a backflip in her womb when Jesus came into the room, right? He knows, he knows. As a matter of fact, he's given his whole life, his whole life for Jesus. And here he is. It's a time of doubt for him. Why? Because he's risked so much. He's taken the Nazarite vow, which is the highest spiritual calling you can take at that time. He's lived in the desert. He's been ridiculed. He's been attacked by the Pharisees. He's had this wonderful privilege of being a prophet, which is awesome in this kingdom, but really, really lame in this kingdom. When you're in this kingdom, you do not want to be a prophet because you're always feeling the need to speak the truth into people's lives. And people don't like that. And so he's done this his whole life. He's lived in the desert and uh, now he's in prison. And he's doubting because he's risked so much. 
And what I want us to see this morning is I would rather have a doubting Christian who's risking everything than a fully confident Christian who's doing nothing. Who's absolutely sure, blah, 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 and they're doing nothing. I'd rather have a guy risking it all, laying it all out on the table. He's taking up his cross going, I sure hope this is right, Lord. You see, doubt often arises when we're uncomfortable, when we realize we're risking it all and we're going, man, this better be right. This better be right. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into four reasons why we doubt. It's not all the reasons, but it's four main reasons. And it's an indication of where John the Baptist was. And then we're going to go into four ways to overcome doubt. Okay. Four reasons why uh, we doubt. The first is difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. It says when John was in prison, what happened with John was this dude, this guy, Herod, he, uh, he has a brother in, uh, in, in Rome. And so he goes and he visits and he meets his brother's wife and is like, hot dog. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. That's what, that's what he said. In some sense, I don't know what it was. So they say, hot dog, that's what I want. And, and, and says, why don't you come on back to my palace, which is uh, nicer and bigger. And she's, okay, great. So she goes back. And so now he's living with his brother's wife. And John the Baptist, again, a prophet, it, it, it's no good being a prophet in this world unless you're empowered by the kingdom of heaven. He says it's wrong. So John has, uh, Herod has him thrown in prison. So that's, that's where he is. And, and, and you can imagine John the Baptist, you know, he, he's, kind of, he's there and he's seeing what Jesus is doing and, and, and everything's going fine. And then he gets thrown in prison and, and he's isolated and times are difficult. And isn't that when we begin to think, come on, Lord, what's going on? Things are going great and everything's awesome. But then when things go bad, it's like, Lord, are you really there? Do you really care about me? Do you? This isn't what I expected. And you can imagine John sitting in his cell thinking, okay, what, what do I know that I know? Okay, I know he's healed people. I know, I'll, but I grew up with this guy. Jesus was John the Baptist's cousin. And so you can imagine him going, you know, when he was eight, we were playing stickball. Bases were loaded and Jesus was at bat and he struck out. Would the Messiah really strike out? I mean, it was right over the plate. Sure, he had a good attitude about it, but I mean, come on, you know, God wouldn't miss things like that. Or I remember when he broke that vase. Yeah, he admitted he did it. But how does the Messiah do that? (laughs) Whatever, whatever is in his mind, whatever goes in our minds in those times of trouble. You know what I'm saying? Where we begin to think and that's where he is. Uh. William Barclay says this. This is really great. He says, John was the child of the desert. All his life, he had lived in the wide open spaces with the clean wind on his face and the spacious vault of the sky for his roof. Now he was confined within four narrow walls of an underground dungeon. For a man like John, who had probably never lived in a house, this must have been an agony. Confined and, oh, he was always out. So Jesus says, go tell John. We read in, 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 in Matthew, I don't wish to forget, uh, I think it was chapter uh, 
three, um, verse 3 or 4. Go tell John. You know what Jesus doesn't say, which is, I hope, a big encouragement for everybody? He doesn't say, why don't you go back? I just got a big earthquake down there. Herod's place is destroyed and John's on his way out. His chains were broken off. John's still in prison. His circumstances haven't changed. Jesus has another solution outside of circumstances. And he begins to heal people. Begins to do this in front of John's disciples. And he says, go back and tell John. And sometimes what God does in other people's lives is enough to strengthen us if we let it. If we're just focused on ourselves and we're in difficult circumstances and we're doubting and our circumstances aren't changing, it gets difficult. But if we begin to look and open our eyes and go, no, you know what? So-and-so made it through this. So-and-so made it through that. Okay, I can do this. Lord, I know you're faithful. They've, I've talked to some people. They've gone through the same thing and they're, they're testifying of your faithfulness. The second thing is cultural influence. Cultural influence. You have to come to the conclusion of who Jesus is. If he's just a buddy or whatever, or you're looking around and you're trying to come up with a solution of, of um, uh, you know, what Jesus is going to provide for you and all this kind of stuff, you have to land on he's God and he's got all authority and he's the only way to cover up our sins. See, what, what, what John the Baptist says is Jesus's disciple, uh, John's disciples come up and they say, are you really the one or should we look for someone else? Because all around that time, everyone's talking about Jesus. I mean, this guy shows up on the scene and people are going, who is this guy? So there's lots of buzz. If it were today, he'd be on all the talk radio shows. Who's this guy, Jesus? What could he do for me? And so, uh, uh, John the Baptist is going through the same thing. I mean, he's in prison. You know, he's getting mocked by the guards. He looks like a homeless guy. They're probably poking fun at him going, oh, great. You've been talking about Jesus. Well, guess what? He's next. We're going to get him or whatever they're doing. This happened with Jesus and the disciples a little later on. Jesus said, who, who, who do people say that I am? What, what's the buzz around town? What's the cultural influence? What is everyone talking about? And the disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, others say you're Elijah. Others say you're some prophet. And then Jesus goes to the core of the matter and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? Forget cultural influence. I don't want to hear what Rashini Limbach says. <laughs> That's a Jewish, right? I don't want to hear what, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't care what, what consensus you came up to. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you like that, baby? Good. <laughs> Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And now watch what Jesus says to him. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. This was not a consensus group. It's not a poll. 75% of everyone thinks that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, wow, he's getting up there in the polls. It's not that. That's revealed by God. If you've come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, he's the only way, you didn't come to that conclusion. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you and you decided to say, yeah, that's it. 
1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. You see that? Don't look for a consensus of who Jesus is. Don't look and wait for culture to all of a sudden agree, oh yeah, there we are. Culture is all over the place. The pendulum, moral pendulum swinging back and forth and all these things and then this and then they'll find this and then this and this. You have to come to the conclusion now, who is Jesus? What does he really mean in my life? The world's going to come up with foolishness. Not only do they think this kingdom's foolishness, it goes the other way. In 1 Corinthians 3, 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Now, if you have... This world being foolishness to this world and this world being foolishness to this world, you can see where the conflict is, can't you? You can see where doubts might arise depending on where your focus is. If your focus is up here in this kingdom, you're going, this is stupid. Why am I wasting all my time on this? If your focus is down here, you go, oh boy, I I sure hope it's right. I'm gonna tell my boss I really didn't turn in that report. And he told me I should. Oh boy, I hope, I hope they got me covered up here for telling the truth. Third thing is incomplete information. Now picture John in prison, okay? Because throughout the Gospels, you see his disciples like in different situations. Like he's scouting them out, you know? So you could just imagine like John had a lot of disciples. We know this because... Uh, uh, in Acts, they come upon some of John's disciples who'd never even heard of Jesus before. Okay, so they, they've, they've kind of like been in that area and then they went out and went, wow, man, the Messiah's coming, great. But they weren't close enough to be where Jesus is. So he had a lot of disciples. So they were coming in and they'd watch what he was doing. And so like, for example, he says, um, uh, they're at the party. Remember the party? We just talked about that in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is at a party and John's disciples come up and say, why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus says, well, you know, the bride, you know, bride, you know we, the, the, the bridegroom people don't mourn and blah, 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 right? So what, off they go. Tell John the Baptist, right? We see that here. His disciples show up. Hey, are you really the one John the Baptist wants to know? He's got his little scouts out. He's trying to gather information is what John the Baptist is trying to do. And he lacks it. And this isn't the first time or this isn't going to be the first time this happens. When Jesus is raised from the dead, there's a guy named Thomas, right? Who's also called Didymus. I did not know that. I'll bet you guys knew that. You're you're good Bible scholars. When I was reading that, I'm like, he was called Didymus? Yeah, he was called Didymus. I'm glad he changed his name to Thomas. If if I had a name like Didymus, I'd change it to Thomas. But here's what happens. So, uh, well, let's read it. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, that's where I got that from. It's in the scriptures. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Here's what he says. But he said to them, I need more information, guys. I I need more information. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I I will not believe it. Now think about where Tom, we call him Doubting Thomas, which is pretty lame, 
okay? Because I don't want to be called prideful John or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever sin happens to be in my life during the day. I don't want to be labeled that, okay? So let's not call him Doubting Thomas. Let's just call him more information Thomas, okay? Let's cut him a break. Cut him some slack. Because picture this guy. He's sitting there and he's like, you know, I've, I've done this for three years with this guy. And there's always, I, we think something's going to happen. He feeds the 5,000. Then he tells them, we're not, I'm not feeding anybody anymore. And I, I'm just tired. I, I want some more information. I want something to happen where I'm going to go, okay, I understand. That's where he is. He wants more information. As a matter of fact, Peter, when Peter wrote his letter, uh, he said this. He's, he's congratulating them. He's saying, although you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, even though you're operating on very little information, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He says, man, I'm proud of you guys. You're operating on very little information. Can I tell you, we are never going to have all the information. We are saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith means you don't know. (laughs) Okay? And so we get all troubled. We, sometimes we want more information and more information. The Lord's going, no, nah, you know what? You have enough for faith right now. You know, you, you've, you've got enough. So we don't need, you don't need any more. I want to see you starting to what, exercise your faith. Start to use that a little bit more. So he was trying to get this information. Fourthly, unmet expectations is another reason for doubt. Unmet expectations. He says, should we look for another what, what that meant was that during that time, the, the belief at that time was that when the Messiah came, there was going to be a stream of prophets and then the Messiah would come. And so what John's doing is he's, he's looking at Elijah, Elijah, he's going through, he's, he sees himself, he knows what he, and he's going, well, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't the actual Messiah. Maybe he's the next prophet and he's going to set up the Messiah, because it wasn't going the way John the Baptist thought it was. It wasn't meeting his expectations. And this is a big one for all of us, guys. We have to understand this. What do you expect Jesus is going to do in your life? If you're with me for any length of time and we're talking and whatever, you will hear me ask this question. What does that look like to you? I I ask it all the time to people. So someone will say, I, you know, my, my wife, you know, doesn't care about me. You know, she, you know, some husband, be, 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 be. Okay. So I can do that because it's another man. She, she doesn't, she doesn't care about me. Okay. What, what does a loving wife look like to you? And the answer to that question is his expectations. Well, she's going to work out six times a week. She's going to be a gourmet chef. The house will be clean when I come home. The kids will be, uh, all the daughters will have nice dresses on and they'll be, hello, father. And, and all in unison, right? They'll be singing a song they wrote that day and uh, all this stuff. Okay. And then you go, dude, can I talk to you about your expectations? Right. Or I'll talk to mar- couples who are going to get married. I'll say, well, what, is a, what does a great marriage look like to you? What, do you, what, do you, what is your marriage? Tell, ex- tell me what's going to happen after the wedding. Oh, every day he's going to bring me flowers. And he's going to, oh, it's going right, to. Let me talk to you about expectations, okay? <laughs> if bringing you flowers means leaving underwear on the floor, yes. 
He's going to do that every day for you, okay? Well, look at John the Baptist. What, was, what were his expectations? You'd go, hey, John, what does the Messiah look like to you? And he says, oh, man, I've been preaching it for years. The winnowing fork is in his hand, and he's coming with unquenchable fire, and you better repent. He's mighty. He must increase, and I must decrease. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's coming, and he's going to blow your mind. And you go, John... Let me talk to you about expectations. Gee, that's yes. Yes, you're, you're correct in part. But that's not how he's setting up his kingdom. And so the poor guy, you can imagine he's in prison and, and the guys are going out and he's got these expectations. And he says, tell me, because remember, it, it said when John was in prison and he heard what Jesus was doing. So he heard all these things Jesus was doing and he's like, so did he, you know, you can imagine what's happening. So he says, what, what's Jesus doing right now? Are we getting close? Uh, I don't know. He, 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 he cast out a demon and a bunch of pigs went over an embankment. Okay. And then, then what happened? Well, then he came back and he, and he healed this paralyzed guy and forgave him of his sins in front of all the Pharisees. Oh, then did he zap the Pharisees with unquenchable fire? No, he told them, you know, you're thinking evil in your hearts. What? Then what did he do? He had all the Pharisees in one room. He could have just at once. What did he do then? He went to a party. A party? What did he go to a party for? I know. We were there. We saw the whole thing. Right? Well, what, what, what did he do? It was tax collectors and sinners. Oh, good. Then did he zap them with unquenchable fire? No. He said, that's why he came. What? It's not the healthy that need a physician. It's the sick. When was the party? Thursday. We fast on Thursdays. That's what we asked them. Why do, you, you're, why do they fast and they fast, but you guys don't fast? And he started talking about a bridegroom. And, oh, John the Baptist. Okay. Look at me. This is through the, through the bars. Look at me. Go ask Jesus if he's the one or if we should be looking for someone else. Right? Okay. All right. Don't get so upset. Right? You can just see him going, where's the winnowing fork? Where's the separating wheat from chaff? Where, where is all this stuff? Second Peter deals with this. It says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. Did you know that that's what scoffers do? <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. I'm glad they cleared that up. Scoffers will come scoffing. Okay. Following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the coming? He promised ever since our fathers died. Everything goes on. Uh, as it has since the beginning of creation, you are going to be surrounded by people who are going, what's going on? The second coming of Jesus, he's going to come down on a... Where is he? Where is he? If you look at Second Peter 3, 9, I think if you look on the back of your bulletin, this is the one that we have for reach. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
That's why he's taking his time. And that might be why he's not meeting your expectations because he's doing something else that has to do with this kingdom and my expectations are on this kingdom. That's what we need to do. We need to go to him and say, what's going on? Unmet expectations. Now, understand, doubt is normal, but the Lord does not want us to doubt. If we look at James 1.6, we all know this. This is someone asking for wisdom. When he asks... He must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You ever seen a marriage where they're doubting each other? They wonder if anyone's being unfaithful. It's like the the whole relationship's driven and tossed by the wind. If we doubt our Savior, it's the same thing. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. There's a great story, great story that I think articulates exactly what's happening. There's this guy and he's got this son who's demon possessed uh, in John. And and, and the, the guy's the kid's throwing himself into the fire and he can't speak and he's 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 tearing himself up. He's having these seizures. And uh, so the guy goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you could heal him, please. And Jesus says this, you see it right here. If you can Did you just say, if you can? I'm elaborating on what's up there. Did you just say, if you can? Everything is possible for him who believes. Now watch this. this. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. (laughs) That is so so me. Lord, I'm going to follow you forever. Help me do that because I just realized what I've done today and I didn't really follow you. (laughs) Right? Lord, I'm going to do everything for you. I trust you with everything except my finances. If I could just get that, oh, I do trust you. Oh. Right? Isn't that where we are in our, in our journey with Christ? We, we go through these things where, oh, we love him, we love him. And, and then we fail and we go, Lord, I, I, you're everything to me. Help you, help me see you as everything to me. I love this. He doesn't want us to doubt. He wants us to say, I believe, period. So what do we do? I want to go through uh, four things very quickly. First, we go to God. First, we go to God. Setting up that James verse that I saw before was this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given him. This is exactly what John the Baptist is doing. Let's not get on him for doubting and going, what are you doing? He's doing the right thing. He's going, I got the, I need wisdom, Jesus. Is it you or is it someone else? He's not saying you. He's going, help me. Help me, please. I'm about ready to die. Help me. And what does Jesus do? It doesn't say it in Matthew. It says it in Luke. It's the same thing that I want us to get here. It says Jesus in Matthew. It says Jesus uh, told his uh, John's disciples, go tell John. Okay, do you follow me? That's what it says in Matthew. Jesus said, go tell John this. In Luke, it says at that very time or at that very hour, he began healing people. In other words, what Jesus did, they came and he said, are you the one or we should or should we? Go for another. And Jesus began healing. Remember, there's crowds all around him. He's going to these different towns. You, 
get up and walk. The lame gets up and walks. Goes up to the blind. Can you see now? Yes, I can see. And he's going, at that very hour, he begins to demonstrate these miracles. And then he says to the disciples, go tell John that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf can hear. You see that? See, John the Baptist goes to God, goes to Jesus, and Jesus says, let me show you something. Very important. When we doubt, we go to God. It's not the first time Jesus is going to do this. Remember we talked about uh, the guy who needs more information, Thomas? Okay, his new name. Uh, John 20, 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus didn't say, Thomas, come here, dude. Let me tell you something. I'm sick of this doubting stuff. Get out of here. Now I got 10 disciples. (laughs) He says, here, I'm going to give you something. And let me tell you, church, when we go to God, he gives us something. If any of us lacks wisdom, let us ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, meaning without coming down on us. But when he shows us, then believe. We have to go to God first. That's what John the Baptist did. Second thing, we go to Scripture. We go to Scripture. If you look at John chapter 20, it ends with this. Jesus did many other miracles, signs, uh, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But listen why we read the book of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's saying, the reason the Holy Spirit has inspired me to write this is so that you'll read these things and believe. When you're doubting, go to Scripture. And now, not only do we have that book of John, but we have 66 books in Scripture that God has designed and said, that is my word, and it's designed so that we wouldn't doubt. So we could read those things and go, what an awesome and glorious God you are. So that we can praise him and we can be strengthened by that. We have to go to scripture. Again, if we go for a consensus, we're going to lose it. We have to go to scripture. What's amazing is that's what Jesus did. John the Baptist comes, the John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus. Don't lose me here. And Jesus does this power. And then he says, go to John and tell him this. The blind see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, right? That comes right out of Isaiah 35. Jesus is, John the Baptist knows this. He was a Nazarite, very spiritual man. He knows all the scriptures that point to the Messiah. And here's what Jesus quotes, Isaiah 35, 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Go tell John to open up Isaiah 35. I know he's memorized this. Go tell him that scripture to remind him. When we doubt, we go to the scriptures. And then Jesus says, and also tell him that the good news is being preached to the poor. And that is a home run scripture for John the Baptist. It's out of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. John the Baptist, I don't know what happened. I don't pretend to know. 
This is not the word of God coming from my mouth, but I fully believe that when he heard that, he went, nailed it. Yeah, that's it. The reason I think that's the case is because when John the Baptist had his head chopped off by Herod, his disciples went and started following Jesus. If, if, if John the Baptist were in prison, he's like, you know what? That's not enough, dude. I'm telling you what. Just wait for the next prophet. That wouldn't have happened. But John the Baptist told his disciples, or at least somehow convinced his disciples, keep following that, dude. We've got to go to Scripture. Number three, we go to each other. Go to each other. When you're doubting, go to another believer. You know what? I've got a problem with this verse. This bugs me. I don't see this happening out in the world. It's not, it's not happening. We, we go to each other and say, oh, you know what? Well, here's, here's what the scriptures say. Or you know what? I had that same thing in my life and here's what happened. We have to go to each other. If you look in Jude, verse 20. Jude only has one chapter, so we just go by verses. Jude 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Stay in the faith. Be strong because you don't know when someone's going to come to you and go, man, I'm really having a problem with this. It is our job to make sure we are continually refining our lives to greater and greater holiness for those around us, not just for the Lord, which is our primary purpose. Now watch what happens in verse 22 right after this. It says... Be merciful to those who doubt. So build yourselves up. Keep building each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the spirit and be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Boy, that sounds kind of creepy. What's he saying? He's saying, guys, take your faith seriously. And when someone comes who isn't as holy as you or as righteous as you, show mercy on them and help them up. If you are a, let's, let's put script, uh, Christianity on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being you are like, it's like the Apostle Paul and you are best friends. You're accountability partners, okay? And 1 is every day you wake up and go, I don't even know if I believe the Bible, okay? So there's the two things, okay? And you say, boy, I really want to be a 10, okay? When you're a 4, you need to be pulling a two along. You need to be helping a two get to a four. When you're six, you need to be helping a four and a five and a two. When you're seven, you see what I'm saying? As you get stronger in your faith, your responsibility becomes greater to show mercy on those who are doubting. We don't get to an eight or nine and then decide, well, I think I'm ready. You just became a one. <laughs> when you get to that point, you just became a one again. It's time to start all over. Okay. You should always be, wherever you are, you should be building, showing mercy to those behind you, going, yeah, you know what, I don't know. Let's, let's see what we can do. We look at each other. Fourthly, we remain in faithful service. As the worship band returns, <clears throat> if you guys could come on up, we're going to go into a slower time of worship. But I want us to see this. This is vitally important. This is very cool. Remain in faithful service even when you're doubting. Why? Why? Well, watch what happened. When Jesus rose from the dead, he sends everybody to an, uh, 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 a mountain where he told them he was going to meet them. It says this, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Wow, still? 
<laughs> Come on. He says he's going to meet you at a mountain. He meets you at a mountain. He's, he's rose from the dead and some doubted. Now watch what happens. Jesus does not say, some of you are still doubting. Off the mountain. I am so sick and tired of you. That's disgusting. Everyone who's not doubting, come to me. I've got an assignment. I want the nines and the tens with me right now. Nines and tens here. Seven through zero. Be gone until you can climb back up the mountain again and you're an eight and a nine. Guys, this is so fantastic what Jesus says. Not only to his disciples, not only to the ones who are doubting, but the ones who weren't. He says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go with your doubts, with your questions, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you want to sense God, if you want to feel God, if you're doubting, go and he will be with you. There is nothing that casts away doubt more than being used by the Spirit of God. Actually feeling, having a, what we call in Corinthians, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Not something crazy where we're swinging from the chandeliers. A manifestation of the Holy Spirit where we are actually giving a word of encouragement. Or we're serving in hospitality. Or we're teaching. Or we're giving a prophetic word. Or we're, for some reason... We get we get a gift of of a miracle to lay hands on someone and they're healed. That that's what gets rid of doubt. Jesus doesn't say and some were doubting. Okay, for those of you who doubt, hit the books again. He says, no, hit the road. Get out there. We are in love. We are in love.